This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center cave inside the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law is 50 years of experience. It's the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melvin Law won't back down. And of course, we're protected by 24-7 uh, by crime prevention. You can worry less with crime if you use crime prevention security systems at cpss.net. And of course, our mugshots brought to us by Maurice T. McDaniel, our attorney, home uh, High Springs, uh, former Airborne and Special Forces and farmer and all the above. So we appreciate that. And of course, all of our sponsors who take care of us and ensure that we uh, get the truth out to you as best we can get it. And of course, our donors who are silent for the most part, um, unless they want to reveal themselves. And um, they're very helpful in the background uh, from helping uh, helping us keep the plate spinning, if you will. Uh, Today is an interesting show for me, and I think it's interesting also for my good friend waiting in the wings here. Uh, he and I have been sort of identified together in many, many instances. Um, first of all, by a, an, an outburst from Tina Certain on the school board uh, one time a few months back when she, I don't know, for some unknown reason, hurled a couple of bricks at me and my good buddy here, Tim Martin, who's a commissioner at Newberry and sometimes more than adequate host or co-host for me when I, I simply need to get away from the microphone for a while. And, and, and so we have sort of uh, become uh, identified in this next uh, story we're going to share with you, which we both attended yesterday via Zoom. And that was the hearing on the Grotos and Riles uh, versus Boss Hart. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, uh, argument, uh, um, Bruja, there's a number of names that come to mind, but it's found its way into the judicial system. And um, the artful uh, dodger, you know, it's, it's a term, I believe, out of, uh, uh, out of Dickens. The artful dodger, I think, was in uh, The Tale of Two Cities. And uh, the, uh, the artful dodger was pretty, pretty clever at getting away from uh, ever being pinned down to anything. And now that's kind of what I see uh, this case as being like, particularly uh, the attorney for um, um, uh, Balsard. And I'll get into why my, and these, the title of the show today is just strictly impressions of a hearing. Um, these are simply impressions. And if I were doing this as an artist, I would sketch them in, uh, much like a courtroom reporter sketches in what he sees. And these sketches, of course, are preliminary kind of drafts. Uh, they're not finally the ultimate picture, if you will. But it's the impressions I got. And I've asked Tim to join me a little bit to see if my impressions match his at all or if he's got a little different view um, of what's going on, because it is a mercurial situation here. As you know, mercury, we're always taught in chemistry, if you drop it on the floor, you'll never pick it up. And it's just mercurial is an interesting adjective. So I think this case in many, many ways is mercurial and it's being deliberately kept that way, I think, by the defense attorney, which in this case is uh, of Donnelly for uh, uh, Bosshart. If you want to look at it from that point of view, of course, each views the other, but actually it's plaintiff versus defendant. So there are some terms here that apply. So we, uh, Successfully, uh, were allowed in yesterday by Judge P Peter Sieg, who uh, took the case, and and we uh, not, instead of Judge Kime, uh, there's no explanation as to where uh, Judge Kime was. There's no next explanation needed. 
There are a couple of three of these senior judges, Judge Bo Curtin. Um, they come in and they are kind of like uh, interim judges or interim pastors or interim presidents. They come in and uh, take control of the situation when needed. They're sort of substitute teachers, if you will, although they're senior judges. So one would believe that they, provided they have their faculty still in their senior years, um, um, have good judgment and uh, know how to uh, proceed through the, through the, through the um, hearing. So we, um, we were allowed into the hearing. There was at one point, I, I thought I counted on the screen some 14 other people, but I think probably Tim and I were the only, maybe there was another reporter in there, I'm not sure, but Tim and I were the only, quote, people who weren't associated with, in some way, shape, or form, the judicial uh, proceedings, either as attorneys or court reporters or whatnot. So uh, we had no problem, in, 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 other than Judge Sieg didn't particularly pay a lot of attention to who was in the waiting room wanting to get in. He was focusing on um, the discussion being led by the attorneys. And so if when he would get uh, his uh, attention drawn back, then of course you could get in. So we were pretty much there between the two of us for the entire hearing. Um, here are my impressions and I'm gonna go through them. We do have the phone line open if you wanna call in and talk to us about this. Um, we're not gonna take any calls until we get through with the summary here, but after that, we'll be glad to have you ask us questions or whatever. Um, here are my impressions of what I heard and I jotted down his notes. And this is coming from Donnelly, who is the attorney for Boss Hart and who also was the attorney present who called off the um, um, Cornell deposition when he saw me appear. And then, of course, not long after that, Tim Martin appeared and that really blew a fuse in his mind because for some strange reason, we'd never been able to determine. He didn't want us to hear it, see it, know anything about it until after the fact. But basically what he was trying to argue, and he tried to argue it again in this hearing, is in the deposition, they might just come across some uh, financial data uh, since Cornell was the vice president of Boss Hart that are really uh, such interlopers or intruders, if you will, as Tim and, and me, should not be privy to. After all, we would get a uh, printed, uh, this is his argument, we would get a printed deposition after uh, the, the deposition was done, but the assumption would be that any sensitive material would be redacted. And of course, it remains uh, questionable whether there'd be any uh, 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 sensitive material in it to begin with. And that came up in this hearing, and I'll get to that in a moment. But essentially, Dunnelly took the position that all files are the property of Boss Art the broker. And this is an important uh, groundwork for the Donnelly case because they're going to argue that uh, these files were stolen without permission by Riles and Grotos when they left, and in so doing, stole trade secrets which were in those files. Now, uh, so they, uh, after that, of course, they, uh, um, he claims we're supposed to give 30 days notice for quitting. And um, so that was questionable whether that occurred. But nevertheless, if my memory served, Donnelly made Aaron Boss Howard out to be very cooperative and waived that 30 day deal to some extent through some sort of agreement he had with Boss Hart and uh, with the Dryles and uh, uh, Riles and Grotos. But they did determine that after they left uh, uh, Boss Hart that any uh, commissions that Riles and Grotos would have been paid at the 80% rate would be reduced to 50%. And that really started the problem as nearly as I can determine. But Tim may have another take on this, but. This is, seems to be where the argument started. And that went to arbitration. That went over to be settled in arbitration. Uh, you're, uh, from the point of view of Grotos and Riles, you're stealing 30% of our money per our agreement. We were to get 80%. And just because uh, you can, uh, you're only giving us 50% and we're entitled to 80 under our contractual agreements. Now, those contractual agreements were not uh, documents that were revealed in this hearing today, but you would suppose they would be there. Um, 
then once the, the Rotos and Riles left Boss Hart and this argument over the 50 versus 80 went into arbitration, uh, Donnelly alleges that Drotos took files. Remember, all files, according to Donnelly, are the property of Bossart, took files without permission uh, from Bossart. And these uh, Drotos, furthermore, gave the password uh, for those files that belonged to Bossart to Colliers. And uh, then you know, I'm sort of following the train of thought here. And I'm thinking, well, there's certainly another side to this. And then right in the middle of this comes a zinger. Well, not in the middle, really towards the end, comes a zinger that really was the first reason I had this whole suspect Donnelly. All of a sudden, he says, and all of this delayed the school, but they deliberately delayed the school board deal, uh, Grotos and Riles. Once they had left Boss Hart, and see, this is where it gets a little murky because if Drotos and Riles had been with Boss Hart when the school board deal had been done, well, then Boss Hart would have got a cut of that deal. But when Drotos and Riles left, they took the, according to Donnelly, uh, the deal away from uh, Boss Hart and ran it through Collier's and in so doing deliberately, and this is something that I really think should be looked at more closely. I'm going to ask him about this, but deliberately ran up the price to the school board for the land which the school board purchased uh, for the new site for a school on 241. Now, there are a couple of things we know independently of this testimony by Donnelly. That school board property. Uh, was zoned for commercial for residential development. It had already been approved by the, and that had value. Um, that there was, and that, listen, if the school board right now wanted to get rid of that property, they could sell that property for a profit. So here is a red herring, and you know, yours truly is trained in debate. I, I judged the state debate contests. I. You know, I taught young people how to write and be lawyers and all this stuff. So I'm a word guy. And everything for me is in the words and how they are used and, and, and what kind of tricks you can pull on people who don't know what you're doing with them. But that whole idea of Grotos and Riles deliberately inflating the price of the school board purchase so that they can make more money for themselves and Collier's and uh, Boss Hart be, be ripped off for that really didn't pass the smell test. And I don't know how that zinger came in there. Um, those after this was a long winded presentation with people going back and forth. I was very impressed by the lady uh, uh, lawyer for uh, Adrotos and Riles who gave a summation when it came to the time to argue why. Uh, Tim and I should not have been excluded from the Zoom meeting, uh, the deposition of, of, uh, of, of Cornell. And she gave a very good uh, presentation. She said that uh, they were never going to ask any questions about uh, financial matters. That was not what they were interested in. And here's the other thing uh, that I'm going to sort of conclude with here that really sank Donnelly's ship for me. You know, there's a saying in, 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 well, in the world I come from, rhetorical strategies where you teach somebody critical thinking. If you find, and sometimes they're called misstatements, but this was not a misstatement. This was another red herring. I've concluded that one of Donnelly's techniques is red herrings to distract from the issue. Uh, Donnelly, when he replied to the judge uh, about what, um, and, the, and Tim probably can fill in the lady's name, had said, he put into her mouth a phrase that she never used. Now, there are about 14 people listening to this, and I'll assure you every one of us caught it. And he said that she had said that they were not going to ask anything about trade secrets. You see, trade secrets is the big thing here that is supposedly in the files. 
but which we have no example of. It's a mysterious term and has not been defined. And he put that into his reply saying that that's what she had said. And she immediately objected, as she should have, that he had put words in her mouth. And the judge said, I heard that. Now, I can tell you, if I were the judge, that would really cause me to hold suspect every other thing Donnelly has said. Because if he misspeaks there, but he's not misspeaking, he's using the red herring, then where else is he using it? You have to become sort of suspicious. Once you find somebody clever like that doing that, you then hypothesize anyway that that's their methodology. Now, the last thing that is interesting is Judge uh, Sieg was unable to determine whether or not our interruption, as it's called by Donnelly, into the hearing was uh, 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 illegal in terms of precedent. Because, and there were all sorts of citations about precedent. Of course, uh, Drotos and Riles had theirs, Donnelly had his, and the federal presidents got involved, the state presidents got involved, and very astutely, I was listening for this, and uh, Tim had said to me on an aside as we were kind of quietly once in a while conversing with this, each other, he said, it looks as if uh, uh, Judge Sieg is going to rule that we should not be allowed in the, in the uh, deposition. And I said, well, we better wait. And right down to the very end, finally, Judge Sieg said, I have heard both arguments for whether or not uh, the uh, deposition should be uh, excluded only to those being deposed and their attorneys. But we now have Zoom. And I thought, by golly, you do pay attention, sir. I mean, that is the whole issue. We now have Zoom. And Zoom is the room. And so the problem becomes for the judicial process is how do you do a Zoom meeting, which has to be included in the public uh, announcement of this, whatever it is they're going to do, in this case, deposed, and keep the Zoom link private? You see, if you didn't have Zoom and you had rooms, you could just lock the door and the guy couldn't get into the deposition. But you can't lock the door on the Zoom because it's out there publicly. So the judge has not determined that yet. He's going to go away and try to figure it out. Tim, how close was I to what you heard, sir? Well, first of all, thank you for having me back on the show to talk with all the viewers here that are interested in stuff like this. Uh, Ward, I think your, your summation was actually pretty close. It was probably better than Donnelly's yesterday, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, I was kind of writing some notes here uh, as we were going to, going through this morning, I believe the attorney you're referring to is Marsha Carlton, if I remember her right, her name correctly. Uh, and you're right. She made very uh, astute observation that Donnelly was trying to wordsmith his way through this, uh, through this hearing in front of uh, Judge Sieg. Now, she was, she was asserting financial information where he was trying to make it sound like it was trade information. And I also wrote down the fact that she also made very clear that their position, as Donnelly tried to assert, was not for us to be there. They weren't, she wasn't trying, and the Drotos team, Dryles team, was not trying to assert that we should be there, in other words, advocating for us to be there. She was simply saying, look, we don't contest them being here. Uh, and there's a very big distinction in her mind and mine as well, and everybody else's besides Donnelly, I suppose. But the whole case has been very interesting from not only an academic standpoint. I don't know a whole lot about lawyering or uh, a liaring as you as you talk uh, about it. Uh, so it's kind of been educational for me uh, as well. Well, we have a question come in I've, I didn't uh, get addressed, and I know you you heard it too in the preliminary presentation by Donnelly. He addresses the issue of how the SWAT team came to be called. And um, he claims that um, they had to, um, first of all, impress upon the um, 
the law enforcement people that indeed trade secrets, trade secrets had been taken and that this was a felony and that the only way to get them back was to go to the real estate office of Drotos and Riles under peril, I guess, since the presentation was that these had been taken rather forcefully by uh, the theft of the password and all that business. And finally, they convinced the police that this did um, and, and call for some increased uh, presence at the arrival of the real estate office. It still isn't, it didn't, it didn't ring true. And it still is, uh, to, the Ray Stern has got this question. We still got to figure out why um, they would buy into that because we were the, the attorney for Drogos and Ross will give us an example of a trade secret that we took. And then we all laughed and snickered because the, the, the Donnelly's team put up an example of a trade secret. You remember what it was? Uh, well, tourism. I didn't get it. I didn't it get into tourism. the call until uh, a little bit later than you did. Are you referring to the screenshot of the whole uh, folder situation? Is that what you're talking about? No, they throw up an ex a, a screenshot of a, an advocacy for tourism. Oh, the trip advisor. Yeah, <laughs> the, the trip, trip advisor. advisor. <laughs> yes. and, and they put that up. And one of the trade secrets, we all just snickered. And, yeah. and even somebody said, that's a trade secret? But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did see that. That was that was really pretty funny. Um, and uh, I, I think if, if uh, uh, what was it, Attorney Hughes, if he had bring, been drinking any water, I think he probably would have spit it out just from the visual that I got from him. Uh, so I, I don't know where they were going with that. I, um, even in the short, whatever it's been, maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half of this testimony that I've even heard from Donnelly, um, he's, his back is up against the wall. He seems to be grasping at straws. Uh, he's trying to make a defense of, well, I would not have had any reason to know that uh, Ward Scott would have been in the Zoom room to even file a motion for a protective order. But that is sort of uh, displaced by the fact that he didn't file one in the Amber Doughton deposition that was supposed to follow a few days later, which he didn't even have his client appear to. So, uh, you know, he's kind of talking out both sides of his mouth, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. I think the judge sees through uh, some of this. Now, whether or not it has any bearing on this decision of whether or not we should be there uh, will remain to be seen. I wrote down something else uh, when you were talking and uh, there's kind of really a simple solution here. You are referring to the Zoom as the room now in today's world, uh, post COVID and all that sort of thing. And I think there's a simple solution here. If you want to take that angle, then a viewer or a, uh, a listener can be by the host in Zoom muted, both video and audio. Uh, but it also begs the question that that could realistically be even a little bit more restrictive in one sense. And only if, if it's a more public place where this deposition is supposed to be taking place, like a courtroom or something, you know, people can go in there. And if they were able to be going in there and sitting there, you can't really restrict them from an outburst or something like that, but you certainly could with a Zoom. You can audio mute, you can video mute, so all that they can do to, is observe, uh, but it'll, inter it'll be interesting where this goes. Like you said, it is kind of uh, precedent setting, even if it's on a smaller scale, uh, you never know where these dominoes start to fall. And, you know, we don't really, uh, I think successfully this hearing still kept the core mysteries mysterious. Um, we still don't know what trade secrets are. And we still don't understand what this has to do with the school board purchase of the land. Maybe Tim can comment on that because Tim has been a student of that school board thing a little more than I have. Uh, right. What is your take on that aside? It was just an aside. It was a, as I say, in, in rhetoric, we call it a red herring. Right. Well, what I think may be going on here is there was probably 
some discontent between the Riles Drotos team and the Boss Hart, uh, Aaron probably more, more specifically, leading up to this. I suspect, I suspect because of the dollars involved, the school board issue may have really just been the straw that broke the camel's back. It could have been the one final thing that Aaron felt, okay, I'm going to draw a line here and I'm going to make my stand. I'm going to die on this hill. And when we talk about, let's say, military response, you hear in the news where they talk about, uh, and I can't remember the, the, the exact word, maybe you can remember me, you're more of a military guy than I am. There's something about a, an equal and comparative response, right? If I'm thinking about trade secrets, my head doesn't go to a comparable response of sending in the SWAT team. I mean, when you're sending in the SWAT team with guns drawn, you are really talking about a sense and a use of force. That's, that's very, very thin ice. And I bet, I can only bet that somewhere in the, what, 150 emails apparently that went back and forth between Drotos and the Gainesville Police Department, uh, the answer may be in there somewhere. Well, I think it went I back and forth with Bossart, Bossart and the Gainesville Police Department. Oh, I'm sorry. That's why. That's what I meant. If I didn't say that, well, that's there's what, a that's lot what of emails that went back and forth between the Bossart and the Police Department. Yeah, that yeah. really kind of raised the hair on the back of my neck. I don't. I don't know about you, but uh, that's a a lot and a lot of communication. And granted, you know, I would say maybe even if half of it was just you know, clarify the words, clarify what you're talking about and that sort of thing so that we can make an educated decision. Uh, speaking, you know, for the for the police department, let's get the information, make an educated decision. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if there is something else in there, even if we have to kind of read between the lines there, because somewhere between zero email and let's say it was 175 emails, there was a decision made by GPD. Yes, the use of force and the SWAT team is warranted in this in this case. And boy, that's that's I don't know. That's quite a leap in my head when you think about it. More being civil related and more being what we would probably classify as a white collar issue. Yes, and the police department is taking the position. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is my understanding anyway that you can't see what's in those emails between us and Ballsart because the investigation is ongoing. Um, this is one of those things that they use as a shield. Somewhere in there is really some explosive stuff. I'll bet, once again, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're having to, um, uh, I, you know, I don't know what you'd call this, uh, uh, do, the, do the rain dance or something to get it raining. I mean, it's, 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 it's every bit as mysterious, but that came out in the court testimony yesterday by Donnelly that there are all these emails that he presented as a educational process on their part so that they could make sure that the police who were not up to speed, this is the way I heard it anyway, Tim, um, were not up to speed, could understand the severity of this theft. It mm -hmm. still doesn't, in anybody's mind, since it's still white-collar um, crime, so-called white-collar crime, you know, nobody got stuck up with a gun and all that stuff, for which the SWAT team doesn't arrive, generally. Um, there you are. It's one of the great mysteries still. Yes, in indeed. And uh, we're, I, th I think we're just kind of early at the beginning of this thing, and Already we can kind of see a little bit of the storyline developing. We kind of see the main characters. We see <laughs> the protagonists, the antagonists, all the things that you talk about here on the show. I'm very, very interested to see if some of the callers have some theories. Maybe they have some come across some information that you and I haven't picked up on, uh, you know, in their in their walk. Uh, so, you know, hopefully somebody will call in and give us a little bit of insight or at least they're thinking maybe they have Maybe they have some history with some of these characters that are involved in this story and in this play, because, you know, these guys have been in the community for a long, long time. Uh, they have a lot of different things at stake. Uh, we have uh, a big real estate market going right now. There's a lot of money exchanging hands. 
and it's always very interesting. We may get to the very end, and we're going to get a bombshell, and that's when the whole crescendo of this thing takes place and comes crashing down around the Bossart uh, Cornell School Board family. We'll just we'll just have to stay tuned and figure out. Uh, but I appreciate your vigilance, and, and uh, hey, I appreciate you keeping me motivated about what's going on in this case as well. We've been talking with Tim Martin. Tim and I were both there for the Zoom hearing yesterday on these motions, and the motions really haven't been settled, especially whether or not he and I should be excluded from a Zoom deposition, and that's to be ruled on by Judge C. We are no closer to the answer of why the SWAT team was sent, with the exception that it was such a horrendous theft of quote-unquote trade secrets, uh, none of which have we ever seen an example of. Um, that uh, it had to be done under point of gun, which is really exaggerating to the average person's mind. Um, we're going to break here for a minute, and, and then we'll, uh, you can call us. We got the phone line. I'm very interested in what you guys think. Uh, Ray, you usually call. I invite you to call in and give your uh, anybody else a plantation. Mark sometimes calls in. Um, I don't know, Mark, to answer the question, shouldn't the emails be released for discovery? Um, the GPD always takes the position that we've run into the law enforcement way that when it's an ongoing investigation. So uh, we've got that same trouble right now in trying to find out what TJ Pichet said in the jail to the guys he signed up or now being tried for being for signing up uh, because they say that it's an ongoing investigation and we can't see what TJ said to these guys. Um, it will supposedly come out in their trial. So uh, if the case is not dropped politically by the state attorney. So, um, and uh, we're going to take a break. I'm getting a little uh, conversation about um, feedback on the, um, the internet. I'm not, we've had a little problem with Facebook lately and, and I'm going to ask production when we take a break here for feeding okay. A lot of people say they're receiving fine. Um, so we'll take a break for a moment and be right back. Final lines open, so stay tuned. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, Thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We're in the Warthog Command Center inside the Melville Law Studio in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. And my good buddy Tim Martin just made a very good point that uh, we need to share with you. Tim, let's make that uh, point clear, please, sir. Well, we talk about you and we talk about me, but really what we're talking about it is us. I sort of in this equation, algebraic equation, for instance, uh, X equals the public. So I am X. I'm equal to the public, right? And right. Uh, you are equal to the, the press. 
and that's a very part, very important part to me, at least in this whole dis- in, dis- in this whole discussion, <laughs> because um, you know Corn- Cornell is ultimately a county commissioner. He was the chair of the county commission at the time. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, all the viewers here, all the great viewers that we have at the World Scott Files, are are understanding that very crystal clear. Correct. And I've even been referred to in the in the record as um, as the press. So it really kind of makes it minimum more interesting um, for the judge, I suppose. Can the press be excluded from a hearing where you have a county commissioner being deposed on a on a on a on a um, a big, really big deal in the community that one would wonder what his relationship, how, how he commingles, I think you might have used this term, uh, commingles these roles, um, because Tim is a, 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 a Newberry commissioner, but you're, one, you're, once a commissioner, you are a commissioner. You are a public commissioner, and that's a different role from being just a citizen. As a public commissioner, the public pretty much has a right to know just what uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but just about anything you're doing, anytime you're doing it with whom you're doing it. Well, there's there's a, there's really quite a bit of accountability in this role. We have to file financial records every year, Ward, uh, so people can go in there and they can look at our liabilities and our assets. Uh, that's no mystery. If you want to go look at that, it, we have to disclose it. There's p- fines and penalties if we if we don't disclose it properly, or we you know make any sort of attempt to hide things. You know they'll they'll overlook a mistake if it gets corrected. Don't get me wrong, uh, but there is a lot that is public information. And even going back to these real estate transactions, you know ultimately there's very little that is. Uh, mystery when it comes to real estate your your contracts your deeds all that i don't know if the contracts actually but uh, you know your deeds and your selling price and all that stuff is public information that's how they get appraisals done because a lot of that is public information you can see exactly who the entity is that's buying the seller all of that stuff uh, so it's it's that's even kind of in my in my head because why why are they fighting so hard to stay in the shadows, uh, so to speak. And the sunshine law, when it comes to public figures and public discussions, uh, is very clear on that. If you have something that is potentially coming before your board, you cannot talk about it between one commissioner to another or one board member to another if you're in a public capacity. Those things are very, very clear. Uh, So I understand you wanting to keep company business, company business, uh, but there is there is a lot more that's overlapping in the Venn diagram here that I think Don, Donnelly wants us to believe or Cornell wants us to believe. And also, you cannot use a liaison to communicate with another commissioner. In no. other words, you couldn't come to me and say, Ward Scott, would you please go tell Justin Marlowe something? Correct. Uh, that, that's not going to fly. That's that's not that's not uh, acceptable. Yes. The, the word there is daisy chain. You cannot daisy chain and use an intermediary to communicate with another elected official. We got our phone line open here. We really 352-389-3997. Um, you all must have some questions about this because um, it, it is relevant to the public in so many ways in that uh, most people are living their lives, going about their business, and they don't really get information at the depth we present it. They'll maybe get up once in a while if they're lucky, something in the in the in the Gainesville sunset. Um, that's the case we got with uh, the writer who called up uh, Tim and asked him about it um, and what was going on. And and um, but um, generally, um, but these things are enormously important because um, you know out out of out of the public view, um, there's there can be all sorts of things going on, and eventually you pay for. It. Uh, in one way, one way or another, uh, you you pay for it. And yes, <laughs> you you really do, and it's kind of it begs the question of what else is there when you're looking at these things, when you're listening to these things, because you kind of pick up unless you're involved in the transaction or you're involved in the bit of information, you get a very cursory cursory view of it, and. 
uh, you know, this is the one thing that we know about. How many other things are there that we don't know about that have not risen to the level uh, to which something like this has? You know, I used to run a lot of restaurants. I had tons of people that uh, worked for me in, in the restaurant business, in the service industry. If you got one complaint award, you treated it like it was 10 complaints because the other nine people, they'd never say anything. They would just never come back. Uh, so this is the one, this is potentially just the one thing that has really caught you and I's attention, obviously, but the one thing that maybe we should be treating as 10 things. And I, I think all this, when it all comes to bear, uh, may very well be exactly that. Well, we've got, Oh, can you let them both in? Yeah, let them both in. Okay, both Mark and uh, Ray are on the line with us, fellas. Great to have a four-way chat here with you. Uh, what's on your mind, men? And I don't know who's going to draw straws to go first, so that's up to y'all. <laughs> Ray, morning, I'll let Mark. you go first. Good morning, Mark. Good to hear from you. Ward? Yes, sir. Ward, I've got a question. If Part of the reason or reasoning for the SWAT raid was that documents would be destroyed. Okay, you know, like when the cops come in on a television show and they see the drugs being flushed down the toilet. The only problem with that reasoning in this case is these documents are already readily available back at Boss Heart, and a lot of them were already public record. So how could they be destroyed? You know, there's already digital copies of them out there. And well, then you know, the Ray, other thing is... I'd be yeah. Well, let me answer that question first, Ray. I, have known, I know this. It didn't come out yesterday. But those records are kept in the cloud. You just don't get into the cloud. And that's why they're, Donnelly is saying... These guys broke into our cloud documents using our password to retrieve those trade secrets. Uh, I think that's where the yellow brick road goes. But no, these, these files, Ray, are so massive, as you can imagine, in real estate business, you don't keep them on your computer. You don't keep them on your hard drive. You don't keep them on a thumb drive. You keep them in the cloud. And... Those cl that cloud is secured by a company that protects them, for which you have to have the ability to be permitted into the cloud. That's Ray, I've got a question for you. Ray, would you have speculated, I suppose, that if, if we're talking about documents in the cloud, we're talking about passwords, wouldn't it not be incumbent on the Boss Hart team to change the locks? When you have a tenant move out, uh, how did they even get into the cloud? They must have had the password. They must not have changed the passwords, right? What do you think, Ray? Well, I believe that the uh, documents were probably retrieved before they left. I mean, these guys knew they were leaving for a while. Okay. But my, my, my major point is, as part of the reason for the spot raid, as I understand it, was they were afraid they were going to destroy the documents. How can they destroy what is readily available, uh, you know, in the digital world to Boss Hart again? They didn't, uh, they may, they may or may not have taken trade secrets. I don't know. It doesn't sound like that. This sounds like a vindictive action because of, uh, you know, financial gain or loss. But how can they say that the files were, were about to be destroyed? You know, like, like I said, when you watch cops, uh, so he's flushing drugs down the toilet. Well, you can't flush these documents down the toilet. You could, even if they were singular documents, you couldn't shred them in time. You, you, you just didn't need SWAT on this. I wouldn't think. Mark, what you got to remind, sir? Well, what I was thinking of, Ward, was, you know, somehow uh, the school board and uh, at all with the commissioner probably they're in deeper than they think. And I think there might be some incriminating evidence that may have uh, been discovered by Rotos and Riles when they moved over to Collier's that there may be 
some type of incriminating evidence against the commissioner somehow, and they're basically making a move and trying to protect it. And that was just my thought there, Ward, and I'll just sit back and listen. Well, I think that leads to a, a logical uh, concern uh, by average citizen like we are. We're not privy to the, uh, you know, everyday life of these people, but it makes you ask those questions. What? And it's been asked, by the way, directly in the, on the record. I heard it asked yesterday, too, Tim, uh, or stated anyway. What are you covering up? What, what are you hiding? I heard that phrase used yesterday. Did you do not? Did you hear it, Tim? Yes, I heard it. As, uh, I believe that same Marsha Carlton had uh, indicated that in one of her responses. You, we have we have nothing to hide. We have right. nothing to hide. And uh, you know, an interesting going back uh, before that was it the assertion from Donnelly that Drotos and Riles were actually trying to make this about trademark, and he was alleging. You know, Drotos and Riles were trying to make the case that it was trademark, and it was never something that Bosshart was trying to allege. That kind of threw me around because I, I really thought that's what was was at issue. But again, there was so much spaghetti thrown against the wall yesterday when it really boiled down to, as the judge finally said succinctly, it comes down to uh, what was it? Three things. It was whether or not we should be the public and the press led into the room. It was whether or not Donnelly uh, committed a, a rules violation. And the third thing was whether or not Donnelly should be uh, penalized financially uh, for not having his client appear, which actually I guess is maybe the second time that he hasn't appeared. Uh, so it really kind of boiled down to those three things, but there was so much other like I said, spaghetti thrown against the wall, trying to get something to stick. Donnelly really came off to me that he was trying to try this case before the case was really even before the judge. Well, I think you had an excellent summation there because I thought it was a diversionary tactic all from the beginning by Donnelly to shift the blame and attention away from him and his culpability in all this is well, by his, I mean, his, his clients, mm -hmm. um, and to his extent, him too, because he's sure. using his skills as a verbal a gymnastics uh, expert there to sure. twist things around to his his uh, use of the language, and and it's just uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, make sense because um, you, you can you can see it right away you can you can you can you can just it doesn't it doesn't ring true. Yes, so, we yes. Have... yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well. I mean, the reality is we thought we had probably a 60-piece a or 100-piece puzzle here that we had to ultimately to get together. You know, the more I think about yesterday's testimony, I think we may actually have about a 1,000 or a 1,500-piece puzzle here that we have maybe the corners put together. We have maybe the bottom edge kind of put together. <laughs> but the middle, you know, we're dealing with a 1,000 black pieces. <laughs> and those are really hard to put together. And I think Donnelly's making every effort to uh, really maybe just throw more onto this fire and just kind of make it as confusing as possible. So, you know, I, Donnelly's not a politician. He doesn't always think, I guess, in politician terms. But uh, I think sometimes with politics, it is almost intentional to make things confusing so the public and uh, the press and the voters kind of check out and leave them to their own devices and don't pay attention anymore. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's flavors of that in here today or yesterday in the, in this testimony to me anyway. Well, you made a good point too. Got, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you one more question, Tim sure. Ward. Has anybody checked into the relationship between Cornell and the detectives who made the recommendation for the SWAT raid? Well, there is a story to that that I have been given. I can't share on the air yet. Uh, Tim doesn't even know this. Uh, maybe I mentioned it to Tim, but but uh, this is um, privy. See, there's two or three testimonies going on, two or three suits with these people. That's another thing we haven't mentioned. This is just one hearing about three things which Tim ex made an excellent summation on. And... I think if I were the judge, 
it's been a deliberate obfuscation by Donnelly to keep Autumn Doughton from testifying. Autumn Doughton, this, I think it was a real contempt of court, by the way, Tim, for him to not even inform uh, the plaintiff attorneys that, hey, and they were there. They were there waiting on the deposition per agreement. There had been no paperwork filed saying, well, we don't want to show up. They just didn't show up. Yeah, there was, I think they said there was 20 minutes. They sat there for 20 minutes waiting for either you and I to show up or, you know, Autumn Doughton and Donnelly showing up. And his his only defense was, well, we sent you an email that we weren't going to be there. Why did you expect us to be there? I'm not sure that, (laughs) I'm not sure that satisfies court uh, process, but hey, whatever. Well, here's the thing about that. I think this is going to be a good, uh, Ray, this is going to be a good litmus test for whether this court is liberal or conservative, because if I were the judge and I'm, you know where I'm coming from, I come from military school, I'm coming from coaching, I'm coming from uh, discipline, you know, if you want your, uh, it's just the way I've been brought up, discipline, language, you understand, all that business. I would really be insulted as the judge that they held my court system in such contempt that they didn't even uh, bother to use the official paperwork to inform a party to the court system that they weren't going to participate in the court system. For what reason? See, that I would never let that go by. And that's one of the things I'm waiting to see how they rule. I think I know how Judge Kime would have ruled on that, but I don't know Judge Sieg that well. I don't really know any of these judges how they think, but I can just tell you I think that that's going to be an interesting ruling, Tim and and Ray. What are you going to do with that insult to the court? Well, I don't know um, ultimately what's in Judge Sieg's head, but if you go back to that question of whether or not they should be sanctioned and whether he should be held in contempt, you know, in the Doughton case, those may play together, right? He may put those in the same basket and feel like there is some sort of penalty that is justified. In that in in that decisioning that he's talking about, you know, one other thing that came up, Ray, that uh, Tim would notice too, is at in the uh, position by Donnelly, he took when he all of a sudden saw me uh, in the deposition of Cornell, he said, uh, "Then, well, we can't go forward because um, uh, Mr. Scott has said blah 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 about my client." you know, which was all made up. I mean, it really was just one of those things where he was throwing mud. And, but it was an accusation of me that I feel really is unprofessional. And particularly in the court, this is a technique that Donnelly uses because he turned around and did the very same thing in this hearing when he said trade secrets, misspoke on that. So, But by the way, you see, did you notice this, Tim? He was really trying to use that as good cause in the first instance, you know, to stop the meeting. But he didn't bring it up this time. He did not say to Judge C, and we want, there's good cause for Ward Scott not to be there because he is, as a news person, he has said these things on his news program about my client, (laughs) who is a public, who is a public official. Boy, I tell you what, the slippery slope of the any time that the news people or anybody has said bad things about <laughs> yours truly, I mean, <laughs> come on. If we if that was the test, uh, then I don't think anybody would be watching anybody or holding anybody accountable because everybody has said something about somebody. Uh, so, you know, red herring is a good uh, analogy there. Uh, just grasping at straws. I think Judge Sieg is probably uh, attuned enough to be able to see through those sorts of arguments, I would say. And to me, the whole thing really boiled down to, you know, the Drotos and Riles team has their act together. Uh, Donnelly is on defense. He's in the corner. Uh, He is just sort of swinging in the dark and really just trying to grasp at anything uh, that will keep us from getting in there and also, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of little jabs in there, so to speak, uh, when they're really not even 
not, not even warranted. There was so much about this case yesterday that they were talking about that had nothing to do with whether or not we should be there, uh, whether or not he should be sanctioned and whether or not he should pay some sort of a penalty for not having his two clients, plural, to appear to begin with. Ray, you still on? Anything else on your mind, sir? Uh, no, that's a pretty good discussion there, guys. Well, about as thorough one as you can hear, because there's probably not two people more involved in it than Tim and I are involved. Um, not necessarily because we want to, but because we find it intriguing. And it is a story that is very central to a lot of this community. As Tim's alluded to, there's a lot of money going on here. Um, these are big time outfits that are battling each other. Uh, these two guys, uh, Drotos and, and Riles, are, two, are some of the top producers of, of commercial real estate um, and residential, for that matter. Uh, they've been top for a long, well, particularly Mike's older, for a long, long time. Uh, and and this, so there's a lot of interest here that the public should be probably well informed about. Um, it's, it's, you know, the other thing is justice delayed is justice denied. Um, and I think that's one of the tactics that Tim really was alluding to. Um, Donnelly is on defensive. It's pretty clear. But the mystery is why? Why are you on the defensive? I mean, you were able to go to GPD and convince them that this is serious enough to bring the SWAT team. The other mystery is why in the world would somebody like Kramer fall for this? I mean, this is supposed to be a seasoned, jauntous-eyed, you know, the old idea of these state attorneys uh, being, you know, hard-nosed, wizened, wise dudes who, you know, understand the criminal. This is not the case here. This is not the case with this young state attorney. Um, he's still feeling his, groping his way through the dark, as far as I'm concerned. I've seen it. I've watched it. Uh, I've watched it with this. I've watched it with the supervisor elections issues. There's just this misunderstanding of how things go and who is a puppet string master behind the scene. Um, one real quick uh, summary here, the, the term red herring, I suppose we can take for granted, everybody knows it, but it was an interesting derivative, derivative is that the escaped convicts would tie a dead fish by a string to their, uh, and then tie that string to their pants and run through the woods with the dead fish um, dragged behind them so that when the bloodhounds and then let go of the red fish and take off, so that when the bloodhounds came looking for them, the bloodhounds were distracted uh, by the odor of the dead fish. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> uh, yeah. I if I, if I may, just kind of one more thing. Uh, you brought up Kramer, which rings uh, a memory to me. The deposition yesterday, they talked about how this was uh, reviewed apparently for some, what was it, 18 months. And we also have to remember, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, Kramer wasn't there this whole time. Was it not started under Cervone and pretty much... Uh, not entertained by Cervone, and then magically when Kramer got elected, now we have uh, charges being brought. That's an interesting point because Cervone, as I understand it, his own record is saying this is a civil dispute and it would, should never have been criminalized. Um, somebody told me he said that. I'm just saying that has been reported. I haven't never talked to Bill about it particularly, but I'll ask him if I see him. Well, in corner. It, Cornell has contributed to uh, Sean Brewer's campaign. Sean Brewer works for the state attorney for oh, Brian yeah. Kramer as well. So oh, uh, yeah. the, <laughs> the connections are growing. The connections that's are growing. Something, that's an excellent point. I mean, Ken Cornell has given to Sean Brewer, who currently works for Kramer, who is and, running for judge. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. Yes, sir. Wow. Come on, brother. Who you who you think you're talking to here, man? Come on. Well, man. and and Sean Sean Brewer also changed from not that it may be a big deal, but it's just food for thought. He changed from being a Democrat to being an NPA, I think right after he had filed for uh for office. Uh so uh, you know, there's plenty of people in this county who are conservatives that, 
you know, set up as a Democrat in the Democrat camp so they can get elected. Uh, but to my knowledge, Brewer was never trying to get elected to anything. And it's just kind of adds to the storyline here. If you're, if you're an observer like you and I are, and, and a lot of our viewers are, I think, you know, we're a little bit better than some as, as far as digging in and doing that critical thinking stuff. Well, Tim, thanks for stepping in today and chatting with me about this uh, and the audience. And thanks for the callers. And uh, we'll just keep you posted. It's, uh, it's, it's serialized. Let's put it that way as a next installment will be uh, uh, the next time there's another chapter written. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep you informed of it um, and uh, share this um, uh, story among your network and see if you can uh, uh, get to the bottom of more than we can. But there are some, as Tim had a very good analogy, the big puzzle out on the table and a lot of the pieces haven't been put in yet. And boy, uh, we got to go look under the sofa for a box that maybe has the missing pieces. Um, <laughs> Memorial Day weekend coming up. Hey, and um, it, it, it'll be a, a very significant a moment in your lives. Hope you um, duly recognize all the service that we've had and all the wars we've had. And, you know, it's it's just um, it's the, the way of life of um, being a human being on this earth, unfortunately. Uh, have a great, uh, great weekend. Tim, thanks for coming by. Thanks to the callers. Uh, Warthog Command Center out.